This is Brown's Digest. What's going on, Dog Pound? Hope you guys are hungry. We are back for episode three of the Brown's Digest podcast. I'm your host, Sean Stevenson, along with Pete Smith. Pete, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we're finishing up, for the most part, pro days. So we're basically running out of things to do uh, before we can just put together a full analysis for the draft. Yeah, the draft is right around the corner. We are officially less than four weeks away from the draft, which is great because we can finally see what type of plan and players fit the billing for the Browns on defense. Uh, it's most likely going to be a very defensive heavy draft for the Browns this year. And of course, to follow that up, we're going to have a defensive depth chart breakdown and we're just going to hop straight into it. So obviously the defensive line is probably the biggest discussion point right now, especially with free agency. Um, obviously they had a visit and some talks with Jadavion Clowney. Also, news came from Adam Schefter about last year that they offered him a three-year, I believe it was $57 million contract. Obviously, he declined that to go back to play with Mike Vabrell uh, with the Tennessee Titans, who was his defensive coordinator when he had his best season at the time. Obviously, with him having that, I believe it was a knee injury, a torn meniscus, now coming off that surgery and getting back healthy again, there's a strong possibility that those numbers will be lower. But, you know, until a signing is made, which I don't believe will happen until after free agency, we can really only go based off what the Browns currently have, um, you know, entering the draft. So you look at the defensive line. Obviously, the two bookends as of now are Miles Garrett and Tack McKinley. And then behind them, there's just a bunch of guys, per se, where you can definitely uh, find room for improvement. You have Porter Gustin, who's a uh, exclusive rights free agent right now for the team. Then you have Joe Jackson, Curtis Weaver and Cameron. Malvo as the only other defensive ends on the roster that are currently under contract. So I'll hop straight into it with this question. Will the defensive end two come via free agency or the draft this year? They certainly want it to come via free agencies or, you know, I mean, I, I guess it's theoretically possible they can make a trade. I don't think they want to go in with a rookie. Um, I think you could do it, but I think they really want to get, another proven entity. I mean, why else talk to Judevian Clowney than for that exact reason? I think they want uh, McKinley to be able to really focus on being a pass rusher and speed threat. Uh, so I, I think it's likely going to be free agency. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't think it's the end of the world if they don't do it, but I think, it, I think it's fair to question if they don't do it that way. So let's say in a situation that Clowney, for whatever reason, either there's more money on the table somewhere else or he again takes this one year deal situation where he thinks he's just going to break the market. Um, say if someone like Jalen Phillips or Gregory Rousseau, um, some good edge player, obviously a lot of them have questions because you have opt outs. A lot of them don't have the same amount of snaps and tape to go base off of for their evaluations. 
say if something like Gregory Rousseau falls to you at 26, could you see a possibility of them bringing back Olivier Vernon, knowing that it's going to be a slow process of working him back based off of what you've seen from him towards the tail end of last season? Um. Uh- I think they could certainly bring back Olivier Vernon. I don't think they will do it earlier. Uh, I think it makes all the sense in the world from Vernon's point of view to wait. Um, If let's just say for the sake of argument, and this better not happen or I'm blaming you uh, that Mayfield goes down with a knee, like for the season uh, after four games or something like that. And, you know, they, they, they just aren't, it isn't their year. Uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, Olivier Vernon didn't sign early. He kept his options open and a team like the Buccaneers calls him when he's maybe healthy enough to, to contribute, just to provide a little extra depth as like a fourth rusher. Maybe the chiefs call him. It makes more sense for him to sort of keep his options open than sort of uh, sign early and sort of, wait i mean obviously the browns if it's tough because you you have to clear him on the injury um which you really don't want to do um in terms of your liability obviously if they if they were to get through to that it would immediately be putting him on injured reserve in some form or fashion but i i don't think you can really do that um i don't think you can basically sign an injured guy and be like like that i think that there has to be more involved with it so um i think he will hold out in terms of when he signs. Now I think the Browns are absolutely in the mix in that respect. Um, as far as like the pick, uh, I think Gregory Russo, at least from my standpoint is out um, based on his athletic testing. Maybe there's, you know, maybe there's some athletic testing he does between now and the draft that is better. Um, like he had, you know, like an ankle or something and, and is redoing some of those things, but his agility and jumps were, were concerning for a guy who hasn't played. Um, I actually talked to uh, Jim Mora Jr. This to, we're recording this on Friday. I talked to him earlier today. Um, he he coached uh, Jalen Phillips at UCLA. Um, he had some interesting insight in terms of you know he he really believes in the kid and and said some of the 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 medical retirement wasn't just about medical that there were other outside forces in his life. Um, that sort of contributed to that decision and uh, that he's in a better place and all these other things. So I would encourage people to sort of check that out, but it, you know, I, I don't know if it eliminates my concerns with Jalen Phillips in terms of, in terms of athleticism, he's out of this world in terms of production. He's pretty good. Uh, his tape is very impressive. Uh, if, if teams are not concerned with, with the, uh, health or the desire, he could easily be a top 15 pick. You know, is, is there a scenario where he could be sitting there at 26 and the Browns grab him? If they believe in in the medical there, then they absolutely could. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's it's now interesting um, as far as that. So I, I thought uh, the way he sort of presented that case was at least worth considering. Yeah, and I feel like as the draft board starts to fall we'll really have a better understanding of where the browns may go and i've seen so many different mock drafts of where certain players or position uh, groups fall like at some point i've seen 
Aziz Ojolari falling to the back end of the first round, but also, you know, listening to his interview about him being a captain his freshman year on that Georgia squad. And, you know, obviously the speed that he brings, uh, his pass rushing ability, obviously off the edge is, is very good. According to Pro Football Focus, he's the third highest graded um, edge player coming out. And for someone like him to fall, I feel like would be a, definitely a consideration point for Barry. Part of my issue with um, Ojolari is more of his fit in terms of the scheme that he would best be suited towards. And I've seen a lot of um, analysts say that he would be better suited as a 3-4 outside linebacker playing the edge versus being a hand in the dirt 4-3 defensive end just because he's a little bit more slight compared to the defensive ends that you want to have on the field, especially considering that, you know, if they're going to be running a 4-2-5, I would want to edge with a little bit more size. And, I mean, this kind of goes down to if they're going to go with a veteran as their DE2 entering the season, where I've never really had an issue with the whole Jadavion Clowney interest because I have an understanding of what he is. And also, I mean, there's almost a full understanding that Barry knows what he's going to get out of him. You're not going to have someone that's going to get double digit sacks in Jadavion Clowney. And I mean, is it possible? Of course, you know, you could play against Miles Garrett. He could be having an outstanding season and he'll get more one-on-one -on -one matchups, but you have someone that's great in the run game. That's something similar to what you got from Olivier Vernon. And for a long time uh, last season with Olivier Vernon, there were moments of he wasn't getting to the quarterback. And then towards the back end of the season, he really started to pick it up after Miles Garrett went down or was uh, Miles Garrett was out because of COVID. He really started to pick up his sack numbers. But there was about a period, about a season and a half where the pass rushing productivity wasn't there from Vernon. And if people were necessarily content of what Vernon provided, you know, up until the point that he had that sack total increase, you're going to get somewhat similar play from Jadavion Clowney in terms of that run defense and his ability to hold the edge. Yeah. Uh, so the first part of that, Aziz Ojolari, um, if you come to the conclusion that a guy who's more suited to stand up and rush the passer is the best option, then take him and stand him up. I, I don't care. I mean, if that's if that's the difference between success and and not make having it work, that's not going to bother me. I do agree with you that I think the Browns would like to have more heft over there, uh, especially you know their base, their sort of their base package, which is I think a big reason. Uh, look, JJ Watt is good anyway, but I really do think there was a huge part of that where it's like he protects that second level. And they're going to be smaller and faster this year. So that becomes really important. And if you have a guy sort of a stand-up edge, you know, if you get too small, they're just going to run at that side every play. Uh, and it's going to be a real challenge. So if there is a, a pick, whether it's like him or a guy like Joseph Asai, who I really like, though not that early, um, and, and they, like the difference between success and failure is what well, he needs to play in a two point. I'm okay with that. Like just do it, do what's going to work. But, uh, absolutely. If they can get bigger, uh, that was a big reason why I was hoping Rousseau could come through. Cause he just was prototypical in so many ways, length and size and all that, but he, uh, he did not test well. Um, Genevieve and Clowney is incredibly frustrating because he has all the talent in the world and 
you will watch him um, play in certain games, especially in the playoffs when he was with the Texans. And he's an unstoppable force. Nobody can block him. He almost beat the Patriots the one year by himself. And all they did was put him like over the, what, what they determined to be the turd of the Patriots line. And he completely dominated that game. And then there are other games you're like, where is he? And he just doesn't look interested and he just doesn't want to be that guy. And that's always been the challenge with him. And obviously now he's coming off a meniscus tear and, and that may be the entire thing with why it's sort of taking a little while for him to make a decision. He may not be cleared from the knee yet. And that they may have had some, pre, uh, may have wanted to take a look at it uh, and see where he's at with that. But the, the, any deal may be pending him getting fully recovered, which at one point, I saw projections we're going to have him, you know, healthy in sort of the middle of April. So maybe he's ahead of schedule, but maybe that's sort of the holdup with him. So again, when he's on, when he wants to be great, he can be great. It's just, I don't know. And and clearly NFL teams really don't know what motivates him because Pete Carroll, who's like, you know, sort of this guru of being able to, get more out of players in terms of that realm did not get that much out of Clowney. So I, I don't know. And, 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 you know, if the money's not as good as it has been, is that going to make him less likely to, you know, give everything he has? I don't know. I don't know if there's a pride part of this where he's going to suddenly decide he, he wants to be that dude. Um, yeah. Like that, that's a trick. That's the tricky thing. That's why I really loved Carlos Dunlap is because, I knew exactly what he was going to give the Browns. He like, he wants to be great. And that's, you know, that's challenging. And I, and I think that can be challenging for coaches. Um, and, and maybe they figure it out uh, that, 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 that they'll have the right people uh, around him. Um, but, I, but I do think that's a, a, a bigger challenge than some people want to sort of think it is. And there will be games where you're just going to be like, what, 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 where is he? Well, and, and, and in a lot of ways, it's Sheldon Richardson is that guy already. The difference is that Sheldon Richardson's peaks and valleys aren't quite as dramatic. There will be games where he's absolutely dominant and takes over, but he, he's not like not trying in other games. He's just not as effective. Whereas Clowney can be invisible in some of those games. So tantalizing. I mean, his talent is undeniable, but it, you, you're always sitting there going, is it worth it? And I, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult question to answer to me. Yeah. And I feel like the biggest vice that Clowney has going against him is the fact that he is a number one overall pick. He does have tremendous, you know, athletic ability and the expectation that a lot of, you know, fans or media analysts or even just coaching staff half of him I feel like that's what also brings him down a little bit because I feel if Clowney wasn't, you know, the number one overall pick in the draft and he was someone that was just drafted somewhere in the first round or in the back end or at the top of the second, he would receive a lot more praise because, you know, this isn't some guy that was just drafted at the top of the draft. We expect double digit sacks every single season from him, um, you know, based off of his measurables and based off his college take. Because when you look at, you know, Miles Garrett, Chase Young, either one of the Bosa brothers, them being drafted at the top of the draft, it's always pretty much from a season basis is that, you know, you're going to get that double digit sack potential. You know, is it going to happen every year? No, but at least, you know, it's always a possibility. But as you look through Clowney's career, his best grade 
strengths have been his ability to be stout against the run. And even though he may not get a lot of sacks, he always is around the top area of edge players when it comes to QB pressures. And I feel like that's something that's underrated. You know, there was at a point, uh, it might have been two seasons ago, uh, when, you know, we've talked about Vernon. And one of the biggest things about Vernon was he wasn't getting a lot of sacks, but he also got QB pressures or QB hits. And that's something that's valuable. And I feel like if you're going to give that sort of benefit to Olivier Vernon, some slight, you know, I almost want to say compensation should be given to Clowney by the fact that he is able to collapse the pocket or get a QB hit. Uh, yes, he does own the point of attack. And like I was saying with J.J. Watt, I think that's an attractive option for the Browns. Again, protecting the second level for a defense when you're going to try to play more safeties and, and play fewer linebackers, it, it's important. So. It, it absolutely matters that Clowney could sort of own that spot, even though he's not necessarily uh, getting to the quarterback uh, that he does. He, he, he will force, you know, help to him. He will own that spot. And, and I, I do think that's really valuable. And I do think you, you have to give him some consideration on that front. Uh, and you're right with, with Olivier Vernon, I think, you know, the difference just with Olivier Vernon, um, obviously injuries were always sort of a part of the the, the story with him, unfortunately. I, I don't think anyone – well, I should say I never questioned that he was going to be uh, – you know, that he wanted to be great, that he he was a professional, that he was – you know, he was a real value to that locker room. Um, and, 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 like, you know, we get into the, all these things about, you know – who, who matters in terms of culture. I would argue that Vernon was a huge part of it, uh, taking time out to sort of work with Jedrick Wills to sort of get him prepared for some of the stuff he's going to see from defensive ends in the, in the league uh, to help him sort of make that jump early, which is why it was so disappointing to see him get hurt. I don't have that same sense with Clowney and, and that that's, not to say they shouldn't get Clowney. I, I think what you're, you're, you're arguing is is absolutely legitimate and and probably a big factor in why they still are interested. I mean, if he can just shove alignment back into the pocket, then it's going to make Garrett's job easier or tax job easier. That's what they want to do. They want to collapse the pocket, especially against teams with these mobile quarterbacks, which, as we've discussed, the AFC, you know, it's – Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow in this division. It's, you know, the AFC championship, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. You've got Justin Herbert potentially on, on what, you know, the Chargers hope is an up and coming team. You know, you've got Carson Wentz going to the Colts who should be better. There are no like other than Roethlisberger, the sea cow, there aren't any like statues in this conference, which I do think is a big deal for how you design your defense and how you want to do things. You have to be able to, force the quarterback to get rid of the football and be able to put pressure on him. And, and if you watch the playoffs last year, there were times when some of those quarterbacks just sat there. They didn't even pretend they were going to hand the ball off. And you, you, you picked up yards with your legs when it was wide open. And Tack McKinley is going to be a guy that helps you on that front. And I think Clowney's a guy who can sort of help you on that front. Uh, so yeah, there's absolutely value in that. Now to, to, you get into the contract and stuff, you know, 
I'll say I, I will hate it if it's you know 10, 10 million or whatever. Uh, and then when they do it, when they do it and Barry somehow finagles this into some magic contract, I'll be thrilled with it. Uh, so you know, it's one of those things where I will probably be way happier, you know, when when they actually make this official, if they make this official, then uh, as, I, as 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 it feels like maybe uh, we're doing what we did last year again, and he's sort of stringing us along a little bit. I don't, and honestly, I don't think he's doing that this time. It's just sort of like this uh, leftover thing with him, as I just never know what he really wants other than money. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where this falls two on the whole clowny situation you know if he does sign if he doesn't and i think really the timetable of when he makes the decision is the thing that we have to look out for the most but just continuing to look at the browns defensive line even heading into last or going back to last season the issue was always that there was never enough depth and if you're able to add a veteran defensive end number two you know now that puts tack mckinley in his most ideal position which is the third defensive end in the rotation now you kind of look at this defensive end number four competition of Port Augustine, Joe Jackson, and Curtis Weaver. Now for me, I liked what Port Augustine did, you know, in spot situations. Obviously, he's not the guy that you want to be starting and playing majority of the snaps when he had to do that when Miles Garrett was out. Um, he was very quiet and didn't really make a lot of plays. I mean, obviously, want to hit the biggest plays that he had was in the Bengals game on that hit on Joe Burrow but for me I'm really curious to see what Curtis Weaver can bring because this is someone that was definitely on the Browns radar in the draft last year he obviously gets drafted by Miami and then they waive him uh, and most likely in a way for them to bring him back on the roster to add to injured reserve Andrew Barry being smart enough to claim him off of waivers and then immediately put him on injured reserve, similar to what the Dolphins were trying to do. And now you get a prospect from Boise State who has, you know, good technical skills in terms of being able to add pass rush moves and someone that can, you know, hold the edge. But we haven't seen that at the NFL level yet. And also, since he didn't get to perform during training camp, you don't necessarily know, you know, how much football shape is he actually in? What will he be able to provide? But if there's anyone that I want to see, you know, come out of that situation as essentially that fourth defensive end in the rotation, I would like Curtis Weaver to be that person to come in. And then potentially you could have this NASCAR package with four defensive ends where you have Jadavian Clowney um, and Miles Garrett on the interior. And then you could have Curtis Weaver and uh, Tack McKinley on the outside where you have a little bit more of a speed rusher and then someone that, you know, has more technical ability, strong with his hands than Curtis Weaver, while you have a lot of interior pressure on quarterbacks. Porter Gustin is the try-hard, effort, motor guy. Uh, he was a great athlete coming out of USC. He was productive. He's had issues with injuries. To this point, it just hasn't really translated into anything other than effort. Um, you know, he just hasn't produced much. So, you know, if if, if they don't find something they like, uh, either in free agency or uh, in the draft, you know, they can get him on the tender and bring him back. Um, I think with a guy like uh, the kid from the, the Browns grab from Miami, he, uh, he just didn't have an NFL body as a rookie. Now he's, he was young. He was 21. Uh, 
Uh, he has a weird build to begin with. Uh, weirdly agile, but has no speed or much explosive ability. And he was really productive. He, he had the uh, Mountain West record for sacks. But you watch some of what he was doing, and a lot of it was really, really bad competition. Now, the Browns got him for what amounts to be a lottery ticket. Uh, you know, it, it, it cost them nothing to take a shot on this. Curtis Weaver, if he, you know, if he really transformed his body in this offseason, you know, then he, he becomes an interesting player because he, he does do some things where you're like, yeah, this could this could be pretty good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he just did not have an NFL body in, in the Dolphins training camp last year. And, you know, they they, they were not upset to see him go, uh, you know, talking to some people down there, they were surprised anyone claimed him uh, because they thought he was so unprepared. Now we'll, we'll see. It, it's not a big investment if it doesn't work. The one guy I would keep an eye out on just because he was there all season on the active roster, even though he barely played is Joe Jackson. Um, you know, for all the roster adjusting, maneuvering, finagling they did, Joe Jackson was never waived. He was almost never active. In fact, they kept activating Cameron Malvo off the practice squad to play over him, but they kept him. And he's got an interesting body. He's like 6'4", 275, somewhere in that area. And his athletic profile isn't bad. He was reasonably productive coming out of Miami. I, I joked, uh, you know, the that year when he was drafted that, you know, the, the Cowboys got the guys the Browns should have taken over Chad Thomas, that they just needed to wait a year. Joe Jackson was better. So I'm curious to see if that manifests into anything. And again, maybe, maybe it doesn't, uh, but uh, it was weird. It just st st stood out to me that this guy who was there was never waived, never anything. Uh, his, his roster spot was never in question. I projected multiple times. I thought they would, you know, release him for somebody else. And he stuck. So my question is why? And and hopefully we'll see in training camp. Yeah, Joe Jackson's definitely one of those players that you always kind of seen around the team when it came to depth defensive linemen. Him and Vincent Taylor, I feel like we're always the two that I always hear about. Obviously, uh, with Vincent Taylor, uh, he really made his impact on special teams with the blocked field goals. But he's now in Houston. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they go for their entire defensive end rotation but again the most ideal situation is find a veteran defensive end number two have tack be that third defensive end in the rotation and allow a young player along with gustin jackson and weaver and malvo to really establish themselves during training camp now moving over to the interior this is when things get a little bit more i should say i don't want to say questionable but there's a lot more question marks of who's going to be here during the season and if there's a move being made when and how and really that biggest question comes down to Sheldon Richardson uh, obviously when you look at his contract for next season he has a cap hit and a surplus of 13 and a half million if you cut him you can save 12 million against the cap only 1.6 million in dead money but that now leaves a hole at the three technique because you do have Jordan Elliott, who you drafted last year, but he only had a limited snap count last year, which is also a good thing. We have a rookie. You don't want to force them into an excessive amount of snaps if you don't have to, so that way they can develop properly. 
but that cap hit that Shorty Richardson has definitely causes somewhat some concern of is he going to be on the roster week one based off of who they could potentially get in the draft which I haven't seen a lot of interior defensive linemen mocked early in round one so if there's a situation where they move back because say whatever edge player or corner they were looking for wasn't there if I can get a 1A 1B situation of an interior defensive lineman that can fulfill that role I would take that and you know basically take my chances with Andrew Billings and Malik Jackson and then hope Jordan Elliott can make you know a big jump in his second year right so Sheldon Richardson is interesting he's not good enough to make uh 13.3 million dollars but you know it, it's cold outside in terms of defensive tackles there's just not much out there there wasn't much out there in free agency they did get Malik Jackson and I think he's a valuable addition for what he can do uh the draft is bad at defensive tackle like one of the worst ever that I can remember at defensive tackle, there's not much there. Uh, I, I know there are plenty of people who've tried to talk themselves into Christian Barmore in the first, in the first round. I don't see it. Um, and, and, you know, after that, it basically you're, you're down to Davion Nixon, who I, I think is interesting, but uh, I don't think he's ready to sort of contribute in a meaningful way in that first year, which is what you would need to have happen if you were to move on to from Richardson. Now, personally, I think the best, plan of attack with Richardson is to uh, renegotiate his contract by adding a year and dropping his cap figure this year and guaranteeing some money uh, this year and next, because one, uh, obviously it would lower his, his cap number this year, which would help. But two, the Browns right this second are scheduled to have uh, Richardson, Jackson, and Andrew Billings, all free agents next year. And I don't know if that's a great situation to be in where you're, they're all potentially going to be free agents. So I think it might be smart to just get him under that other year to sort of allow them one more year to sort of draft and develop behind them uh, more than they have right now. Uh, so, yeah, I would love them to sort of figure out a way to sort of save some money and keep him around a little bit longer, which I think is mutually beneficial. Even if you were to say, drop it, you know, $10 million this year and, 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 you know, somewhere in that neighborhood next year, you'd save 3 million immediately, which is not nothing. Um, and the addition of Malik Jackson, I think makes that contract figure look uglier. Um, he's, you know, how they're going to split it up. I assume it's going to be involved some void, uh, year next year with Jackson's money, but you know, 4.5 million for one year. Uh, I, I don't think he has any business being a full time starter. It's not like I think the Browns could can really effectively cut Richardson, just be like, no, we're fine. Um, I, I do think Richardson is a really necessary part of this, but obviously it'd be nicer uh, and feel better if he didn't make quite as much as he does. That said, you know, Maybe getting Malik Jackson in there helps Sheldon Richardson. He doesn't have to play. I mean, he plays Sheldon Richardson to his credit takes a ton of snaps and he doesn't miss games. Um, so there, there is some value to, to just the fact that he's always available and he's always playing, you know, his, his, his 
play can be a little bit of a roller coaster at times and, and be frustrating. And maybe Malik Jackson can help with that aspect of it. Uh, but I do think Sheldon Richardson does have a real value. Uh, but yeah, it'd be nice if it wasn't quite as expensive as it is. Yeah. Restructuring his contract, I believe is the best line of action that they could, or course of action that they could take uh, again, just because he's making so much money. But, and I am in full agreement with you that he does play a ton of snaps. That was really the thing that we noticed over the tenure of Ogunjobi's time with the team is that he played a lot of snaps. And then, of course, when they added Richardson over the last two seasons, it really helped take some of the pressure off of Ogunjobi. Obviously, he's now in Cincinnati, but Richardson definitely added you know, some veteran leadership and some maturity to the interior of the defensive line. And now when you kind of look at the group as a whole, they don't necessarily have a, a very specific identity, but you know what players are going to have some type of role. Like you pretty much know your no slash one technique is going to be Andrew Billings because he's the biggest interior defensive lineman that you have. He's 6'1", 328, so he's not very tall. But then again, you know, nose tackles, you don't necessarily want them to be too tall because when you're bigger, you want to really use leverage and obviously the lower player typically wins in that situation and a lot of centers aren't really tall either so I mean his his build fits but when you start to look at Malik Jackson he's 6'5 285 on the interior which is very slight in terms of interior uh, defensive lineman and you look at Jordan Elliott who's at 6'4 302 who's closer to the size and frame of Sheldon Richardson so I would say this group definitely still needs something to be added. You know, like you said, there's not a lot of options in free agency to really upgrade that group. So now it kind of, unless it's a situation where some team drafts a young player or someone's contract or whatever the case may be, where a trade opportunity becomes available, where you could upgrade that group while saving some money, that could be an option. But overall, you know, it's going to be, a necessity for Andrew Barry to figure out some way to either minimize the cap hit that Shooting Richardson has while also adding more depth to improve this group because I just feel like it needs something else. Um, they have some interior rushers, but also on the same note, like you said, you, you have three players on one year deals. Who's going to be that run defending defensive tackle on the interior? Because right now, outside of Andrew Billings, I don't think you have it. Oh, no, that's a big question is, uh, you know, one of the things I thought, you know, that the, 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 the maybe they would consider bringing back uh, Larry Ogunjobi is I, I, when he came out, I projected him to be a three um, and he, he was playing nose. And, you know, I, I thought maybe there was a there was a way that they could put Jordan Elliott at nose and put Ogunjobi as a three. I think Elliott is actually suited to two gap pretty well. But if they like him as a three, then they absolutely need a backup nose. Andrew Billings is really good at what he does, but they don't have anybody else unless they like Elliot for that job. And, um, you know, losing Vincent Taylor from that standpoint hurts. So, you know, I, I wanted Tyson Alu-Alu from that. I would have been happy with Danny Shelton for that. Um, I'm curious if what their sort of, what is their sort of vision for that? Do they, they want to go in and get somebody from the draft? You know, that's difficult in that it's tough to, it's a t really difficult position to play fast. There are some nose tackle prospects that are worthwhile in this. Um, you know, some people are very high in Aline McNeil. 
from NC State. He sort of fits a similar mold as Andrew Billings. Um, I, I wish his production was better. And then, you know, one kid I, I really think is interesting just sort of as a, as a project is Jonathan, uh, man, I'm going to forget. Jonathan Marshall from Arkansas, who is just an, a, a ridiculously strong athletic human being um, at like near 320 and weird, weird, impressive movement skills and, and just explosive strength. I need, I think he needs a lot of coaching, but he's just sort of this project guy where I think he can make a mess inside. Um, and then there's another guy that's interesting, uh, although I'm not entirely sure about his age, which is Kairis uh, Wanga or Tonga or something like that. I, one of the Samoans, and I'm, I'm butchering his name probably, but uh, he served a mission uh, as, as many, many who attend BYU often do uh, before he started his college career. So he's actually six years removed from high school. And if he's 23, you know, I, I think the Browns would probably opt for younger, but that's a position where it's difficult to get younger. They can sort of come in and help, but, you know, you, you sort of want to get him before the 24. I don't know if he, where he is on that sort of line, but those guys are both older. Uh, the kid from Arkansas is 23, definitely. But if you're trying to get somebody who's probably going to be available late in the draft that you can maybe plug in and get some production from, to, for that that role, maybe that's a route they go. I mean, are, if they're willing to carry five defensive tackles uh, it, regularly, I don't, I don't, you know, we'll see if that's the case. But that's that right now. Of all the things on this defense, that's the one where I have the most question of where, where's the, what's the vision uh, for Joe Woods this year. So, as we wrap up the defensive line, pick number twenty six. You don't have the option to trade. Who's the defensive player you grab in order to best improve this defensive line group? Oof. Um, well, if he's there, I would take Quiddy Pay um, for Michigan. I don't think he will be there, but he's the guy that I think would be ideal for what this team wants to do. So if you if you're taking him out of the equation, um, the Browns would probably have to take a long look at. Jalen Phillips for, for what we've sort of talked about. Maybe that's the answer. I, I don't know that I feel great about him. Uh, good enough about him. The Browns uh, look, they have more access. They have more information on that. Maybe they can make the, 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 the uh, more informed judgment that they like what he can be and that he can be a two contract player. Maybe that's the answer. I, I, I love quitty pay. Um, you know, the, the guys I like sort of after that, that, that sort of have, have passed the benchmarks I really like, I think are more like second round guys like Osai and Peyton Turner and some of those guys. So I don't know if there's a guy at this point, I, I like, I really do feel like in some respects with pro days this week, particularly with the university of Miami, that we got some clarity that makes it easier for me to be like, yeah, we're taking a corner. Gotcha. So as we move on and we look at the second level, which this group obviously is going to be de-emphasized. Now we've seen uh, Zayvon Collins as being one of the players mocked to the Browns at 26 um, out of Tulsa. Uh, you look at the linebacker position, you have Malcolm Smith, Anthony Walker, Jacob Phillips, Siona Takitaki, and then you have Mack Wilson, Montreal Meter, and Elijah Lee. Looking at the group, 
I would say your one and two linebackers that I would expect to have around the highest amount of snaps is going to be Anthony Walker and Malcolm Smith just because of what they provide in terms of veteran leadership. Uh, as we've talked about previously in the first episode is, you know, Malcolm Smith, you don't want him being your every down linebacker. But as you get into the really the defense that Joe Woods wants to run, having that extra coverage linebacker and then that guaranteed thumper based off of the package that the offense is running, I feel like Anthony Walker will be that that linebacker in the middle. Then, of course, you have Sione Takitaki, who can play Sam, uh, play on the line of scrimmage, help on early downs in terms of defending run, which he did a tremendous job of last season. And then really the biggest X factor of this entire group, I would say, is Jacob Phillips. Because, one, you draft him, I believe it was the third round um, last year, and he's someone that can fly around the field. Obviously, you want to see him improve in his ability to cover over the middle of the field. But his side sideline and sideline running and his ability to make tackles over the field, I feel could be very valuable if he can really make Joe Woods confident enough to allow him to be a three-down linebacker. And then that gives you a little bit more flexibility of how you install um, Malcolm Smith and Anthony Walker. Yeah, I think it's pretty pretty well stated. I think, you know, I've been talking about this all offseason with the Browns sort of look at linebacker as just role players. Anthony Walker is a role player. He's there to hit people and stop the run. He's a hammer looking for a nail. He's really smart uh, and has many of the assets and the characteristics that uh, B.J. Goodson had in terms of being a locker room presence, uh, which is valuable. Uh, Malcolm Smith is there to cover people. He's not there to be a box defender consistently and stop the run. Uh, Sione Takitaki is a fascinating continuing project that maybe he can take further steps to make himself a viable Mike linebacker. He's been sort of a, as you mentioned, he's been sort of a Sam uh, and he's been great at that. Uh, Can he sort of make a, 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 more of a move to, to make himself where he, they, they just don't want to take him off the field because of what he can do. Uh, and then, yeah, Jacob Phillips is sort of this guy that you're sort of sitting here. Maybe he can do a little bit of everything. Maybe he can, you know, be a, a coverage asset. Maybe he can just be a run and chase guy. He, he, I, I, coming out of college, he processed at a really, really high level uh, and, and was just quick to see what was going on. And unfortunately he dealt with a knee injury. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping that he's stronger this year. I mean, that was sort of the, the issue coming out from him uh, is that he was sort of a little bit un, un, under muscled for the NFL at 21 years old. So I'm curious to see if he's you know thickened up a little bit and, and what that does for him while still maintaining that quickness. But, you know, that's four, that's four linebackers already. And I don't know where what you know what people think they, they want. In this, in the, the the group I just laid out that we just laid out there is very specialized and has you can sort of peg exactly what they're going to do, and that's before mentioning I guess he's still here, Mac Wilson for the moment. Uh, you know, hopefully he can take a step forward. He has two great plays over two seasons. Maybe he can get a third one this year. Um, and then you know, I, I do expect them to turn the bottom of the roster. I think this is a really bad linebacker class. Um, I think the top. Uh, the, the draft has some really nice players. Uh, 
but I, I'm not a Zayvon Collins guy. I, I just, I, it's not because he's not talented. I think he's, he's very talented. Uh, my, my criticism with him is I don't know that he helps you beat the bills or the chiefs. And those are the two teams that were in the AFC championship. Those are two teams that look like he headed back to the AFC championship. So if they don't, if he doesn't help you do that, then what are we doing picking him in the first round? You know, that's why it makes more sense to me to add more ability to cover more speed on the field. Uh, and he's a power player and there's nothing wrong with that, but, you know, dominating the line of scrimmage in terms of run defense doesn't really stop Patrick Mahomes. It doesn't really, I don't, you know, I don't know how many people can offhand name the bills running back because it, it didn't matter. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's the issue with that. And I, I really do think the other part of that is I do really think that, Granted, Mac Wilson was such a struggle last year that it made things look so much worse. But in general, if the Browns could simply get the linebacker play from everybody else they got last year, uh, if they get Anthony Walker on the same sort of level they got from B.J. Goodson, if they get Malcolm Smith to just play as well as he did last year, if Taki Taki plays as well as he did last year, I think the Browns are going to be really happy with what they get for that position. And that's Bearing in mind the investment they have, like they were legitimately pretty good for what they needed. The DBs were such a big issue with this team that I think that's going to change this and make the linebackers look better. Defensive line, the same way. If you get better play up front and in your back uh, in the secondary, I think those linebackers will look better and look less of an issue than they did last year. Yeah. In terms of uh, Zayvon Collins, I'm also in the boat of kind of staring clear from him in terms of pick 26. And, and again, it's not because he's not talented. Um, for me, it's more of the fact that he doesn't have a solidified, I would say almost role of what he would provide for a defense. I've seen people say that he's an off-ball linebacker that's probably more suited to play on the edge. And then you bring up the point that, or some people bring up the point that he had two pick sixes uh, last season while being back in coverage but in a position where they don't have a strong emphasis on in the first place in the Browns defense I wouldn't necessarily want to commit you know uh, significant resources which you're pretty much doing in a first round pick on a player like that that doesn't have a solidified role coming into the NFL and there's some questions of you know what's his best fit and it's just strictly based off of talent because if you're just going straight off of talent then, you know, there's not too many holes on the roster where the Browns have to grab someone, um, you know, where they couldn't go uh, best player available in the first round if that's how their board falls. But looking at the rest of the group, Mac Wilson obviously is a guy who can be frustrating. He'll make some plays, but also at the same time, he's too undisciplined with his eyes. And at just at some points, you wonder, like, why are you not? in the right hole or making the right read. We know you can tackle, but there's more to football than just going out to hit someone. Um, and then Elijah Lee, more of a special teams linebacker. And then you look at Mantra Meander. And to me, I feel like he's the most intriguing prospect of the linebacker group just because he fits more of a role of like a hybrid safety type player. And based off the fact that Joe Woods wants to run, you know, a four-two-five where you have potentially three safeties on the field. 
Meander could, you know, based off his special teams impact, could find and carve himself out a role on that defense if he fits that type of um, mode. Like you think of LaMarcus Joyner on, I believe it was the Rams defense of where you have him basically a safety playing in that linebacker spot because it adds a little bit more speed to the field. Yeah, I mean, I think you can easily get to a point where you you, you take out a linebacker for sort of a a dime uh, element that's that's another safety. Um, yeah, the Rams did it with Mark Barron playing uh, that weak side linebacker, and that was just their that was he was just their full time weak side linebacker, um, and that's certainly a way you can go. So it's just again, it's just and and. and Malcolm Smith, I mean, is barely bigger than a safety. He's like 220, 225 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's sort of that same range. And like there were people, again, this is sort of like, you know, people think I, I hate Zayvon Collins or something. You know, he ran a four six seven. People were saying he was slow. He's 259 freaking pounds. Like that's moving for 259. But that's just sort of where the NFL is going is you just don't have those giant linebackers anymore like 230 is like a 240s bit like huge for linebacker now 230 235 is about where most guys are playing at and some are playing lower than that i mean patrick queen was a first round pick last year and he was maybe 230 so i mean you're just playing smaller guys so it just makes more sense to sort of just get better ones that can play safety or guys like malcolm smith to come in and play coverage how many linebackers will be on the final 53? If you had to guess. I'm, I'm going to guess probably five, maybe six. And the reason it might be six is just special teams. And and maybe they just use that, you know, the, that, that what would be that sixth linebacker spot for just another DB. They can do that instead. Um, but yeah, it's either five or six. It's not going to be, you know, like eight and nine linebackers. It just doesn't make sense for what this team's doing. Yeah, based off of how the draft unfolds, I would say minimum, at bare minimum, four, which is the top four we already talked about. But I would lean towards five, um, just because, again, that fifth linebacker offers some special team value. And And truth be told, that could be the difference between Mac Wilson making this roster or not. Because you already know in your top four, you know, what these players bring to the table and how they impact your defense. So as we continue to move towards the back end, now this area obviously has improved, especially with the safety position. But looking more outside, the cornerback position is still a group that needs one more player to really take this group over the top. So you have Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, ideally as your top two corners. Troy Hill is going to be that nickelback, plays in the slot. We can move outside if need be. And then behind them, you have pretty much some question marks. Uh, I expect A.J. Green to be back on the roster. Obviously, he came with the team last year as an undrafted free agent out of Oklahoma State. Bigger guy. Uh, Robert Jackson, he's still on the roster. I feel that his his biggest benefit to the team is more on special teams than it is in coverage. Because the few times he was out there along with uh, Tavier Thomas wasn't ideal. And a lot of teams picked on him when he's on the field. And then MJ Stewart, um, I believe he'll still be with the team next year just because of, one, again, familiarity with him. They claimed him off waivers from the Buccaneers, and he's still on his rookie contract. But also, 
there were times throughout the season where Joe Woods would use him to blitz from the slot. And I feel that that's a, um, a very useful trait to have out of a player. Um, you know, that trust for them to have at least the ability to blitz off, uh, off the edge from the, from the nickel spot. And then of course they have Brian Allen who they just signed, uh, I believe was earlier this week. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the, the former bucks, uh, defensive back, he is that tweener guy. Like he was just a slightly bigger DB. They sort of got lost in, in not really excelling in one particular area. And, you know, if the Browns draft another safety, he may have a difficult time making the team because that would essentially be that same role. But that's really why he excelled against the Steelers um, in the playoffs because he, uh, Stewart was, the Steelers weren't running the ball much of at all. So all he was basically having to do is make tackles on receivers after they got the catch. And he's big, he's a really good tackler for the most part. And so he was able to sort of just collect tackles and do enough. So he was like a real value option in that particular case. I, I don't know if he's particularly safe to make the roster, but he, that's a niche he can sort of own. Um, you know, it's tough for him to be a full-time slot guy. I mean, obviously Troy Hill's going to be that dude. But that next man up after that, you know, he's going to have to fight for it. It's going to be interesting. Robert Jackson presumably will step into the role Tavier Thomas had last year. I mean, that's what he was doing. He was the backup gunner. Uh, I'm guessing that we'll keep him there to do that. Um, and, and he'll make the roster for that. I don't think they want him anywhere near the field as a corner and if they can help it. But, you know, Tavier Thomas was really good for this team in that role. And hopefully Robert Jackson, who's been sort of his understudy the last couple of years, can, can step in and take over, or maybe they'll add somebody else. Um, so AJ green is interesting. I'm very curious to see where that goes because AJ green was sort of like the, you know, the, the prototypical zone corner. Um, that's all they did at Oklahoma state. He, he was a cover three guy. And it's interesting that now they've seemingly added players that, might be more suited to man coverage. You know, does he sort of fit in there? They uh, they gave him guaranteed money that was sort of like that of a sixth-round pick when they kept him, so they obviously liked him enough. Can he sort of transition for that? I, I, you know, Denzel Ward kept singing his praises during last year, so I'm curious to see what he can do with another year. You know, I, I was always a big fan of Donovan Alumba, who they, they did not keep, but, you know, he he's a guy that they could – look into, but uh, they need, I think they need two corners. I think they need probably at least one more safety. I, I wouldn't rule out two. Don't feel great about uh, the chances of uh, Sheldrick Redwine making the team again. So well, that's sort of where that's at. So when you look at the cornerbacks that's available in the draft, for me, when you kind of look at this roster, I personally do like um, Asante Samuel Jr. out of Florida State. But based off of his size, I mean, he's only like 5'9 and a half. He would definitely be more suited to play in the slot. He does have some ability where you can slide him outside. But, you know, based off that size, I don't think that would be that ideal to have someone that small. But, you know, he gives you some long-term insurance uh, after Troy Hill leaves with the team. But... 
I feel they would be a little bit better suited to have a cornerback with some length that could, you know, play in man coverage on the outside. Someone like J.C. Horn, who I don't think would fall, but in the situation, you know, say if he does make it out of the teens, based off of what he provides in terms of his measurables and somewhat of his tape, I wouldn't mind moving up a couple spaces or a couple, um, you know, draft slots in order to get someone like J.C. Horn to really solidify the that outside cornerback spot. Because now you, I mean, you really do have some question marks of what are you really going to get from Greedy Williams these next two years? He had a shaky rookie year. Obviously, the shoulder injury uh, kept him out his whole second season. And if the last thing that I have based off of your play is something that's questionable, there's still a possibility that they may be looking for a replacement if he doesn't show you what you need, you know, in this third year. And if, if it doesn't work out, you know, after his full contract, you need to have someone already in the range to take that spot. Then best case scenario, his play improves. He becomes that player that you expected when you took him in the second round. Then now you have three good corners. And I feel like you could take that benefit of using Denzel Ward as the person that shadows that number one receiver. And based off of modern NFL offenses, a number one receiver isn't always going to be on the outside. You look at Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, with the exclusion of maybe someone like DK Metcalf, a lot of these number one receivers, Keenan Allen, can be seen in the slot, and they do a lot of damage there because of what they can provide of having free releases off of the line and not dealing with that direct face-to-face press man coverage. Okay, so Asante, you heard that. I know you're over 5'10", so please direct all... Uh, anger, deserved <laughs> and righteous at Sean. Um, I love Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, I think he plays bigger than his size. Um, he's just a nasty kid who, who who loves contact. I wish he just needs to keep running his legs on contact. But man, he gets dudes on the ground. He you, know, you watch some of his college tape. He he intimidates guys, and they they basically turn it down at times. He he was outstanding against covering Deami Brown uh, in, in that game against UNC and Florida state was awful last year, but he was a huge reason that they were able to pull the upset. If you watch that game, Sam Howell, who's going to be a really, really nice quarterback next year uh, does almost all of his damage to the other side it, it, because Deami Brown plays left pretty exclusively and Asante Samuels with him the whole game. And they go to the right for like over 300 of the 370 eight yards. Hmm. So uh, I, I really like him. So while I, I do absolutely see why the Browns would be interested in more length, if they see that, you know, Asante Samuel is a solid one versus like a, a distant, you know, two with, with Greg Newsom, if Melifanu, I would absolutely understand why they would take him. He's really good. And I think he's ready to play right now. That said, you know, he, the Browns have right now, the two, two starters that we know of right now are Denzel Ward and Troy Hill. And they're both five ten. Um, You know, it'd be nice to get a, a longer corner. Greedy Williams can offer some length. He's got two more years on his rookie deal. Drafting another corner is absolutely not, giving up on him. You just cannot have enough corners. Uh, so you, you keep seeing what he can offer. You keep letting him compete. And if he wins a job, great. If not, 
you know, he's the first man in when it comes to depth, which obviously last year was a huge factor. Uh, but I think Greg Newsom and if you, if you ought to Melifonwu are guys that probably really stand out to the Browns just because they offer more length because you do play some of these teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals that have a Chase Claypool or T Higgins and some of these other teams that uh, have, you know, that a big receiver, the Denzel Ward, he can do a lot of things and he can play the ball and he can play the hands and all these things. There's just certain matchups he's going to have a, a difficult time with. So, you know, if you, if you to Melifon is really tantalizing, you know, at six, basically six, three, and over 200 pounds, like he looks like he, he was formed uh, as a player to be the perfect corner. He still has work to do technically uh, to, to get better. But maybe you feel good about that because you have Greedy Williams and you're, and you're sitting there going confident enough that we're going to have one of these guys ready. And maybe Melifon won't be ready immediately, but we, we, we believe in enough in his upside and his potential that uh, we're going to have a great corner down the, you know, overall better than what we would have gotten there. Uh, Greg Newsom, really talented option. I think he plays the defense that most resembles what the Browns want out of a corner. He does have some length. He's got some really long, nifty arms that he, he reminds me of Joe Hayden and how he's just he got a knack for punching the ball out. Uh, he needs to get a little bit stronger. He needs to thicken up a little bit and be a little bit more physical. But, you know, he he has a lot of those instincts and talent that could really stand out to a team like the Browns. And, and maybe if that guy's sitting there 26, they go ahead and grab him. I feel like Melifonwu is the trade down net that they can move out down a little bit. He'll be there. Um, but uh, we'll see. They may not want to mess with it. I mean, they're, they're just – certain they may feel so good about him that they don't want to you know even jeopardize and they just want to grab him and move on do you think that there's a prospect in say the late second round early third round that could be ideal say in a situation that whatever defensive end pro uh, or edge player they were looking at falls to them they grabbed them at 26 now you're sitting at the back end of round two or in a situation where you need to trade up in round three what corners do you think would best be suited, you know, to provide that length besides Melifondo? I don't like the options for that. That's part of what my issue is. I feel like the corner class is super, super top heavy. Um, and if you don't get that guy in that, you know, that first pick, you may not be able to get a guy who's ready to sort of contribute. And if you, you, you're tr talking about a guy like Drew Williams at Syracuse, or maybe they like Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky way more than I do, uh, then maybe they see something in that. But that's part of my issue with this is like people talk about this corner class being really strong. I don't know that I agree with that, at least in terms of being able to get a guy who can step in and play the boundary early. I feel like there are a lot of guys who can come in and play the slot. Browns already have that. I would still like to grab one to sort of, you know, develop, but uh, that's, that's really where my, fear resides in this in that I feel like you have to get that guy early or you may miss out. And if they don't get a, a corner in that first pick, I think the Browns are going to be on the phone trying to move up into the second round to get whoever it is they like. 
Uh, and that may be the case anyway. Like I, the, the, I, I don't rule. I, I feel pretty good about the idea that the Browns are going to, you know, take a player. Maybe they move down a little bit before they do it with that first round pick, but they, they may be looking to try to come up and get that second guy um, with him, like basically one corner, one edge in some order. Do you think come draft day, boundary corner or slot corner will be higher on the pecking order when it comes to getting another defensive back? Boundary. I mean, Troy Hill's a good player. Um, and I, and I think the Browns can be creative uh, in terms of safety. Uh, so for example, a guy I really, really like is Javon Holland out of Oregon. I don't know that he's going to last very long, but you know, Justin Reed lasted in the third round, despite the fact he was a first round talent. Uh, and he could play slot. Like there's a lot of creativity with how they do that. Grant Delpit can play slot. Ronnie Harrison, maybe they'll play the slot. Uh, you know, it's, it, there's, there's more ways to sort of take that on than ever before, or especially with the way this defensive scheme is working. Boundary corner is boundary corner. You're going to put somebody out there who's a corner and, and has a very specific skill set. So I think that's absolutely going to be the more scarce, more difficult uh, player position to land. Okay. So as we wrap up the defense, Looking at safety, which is the group that improved the most due to free agency, you look at strong safety, which is like most likely going to be manned by Ronnie Harrison. Uh, obviously, he came over through the draft, or not draft, excuse me, uh, via trade with Jacksonville, and they added John Johnson in free agency. So I definitely believe those are going to be your, your top two. Then with Grant Delpit being essentially that third safety on the field, uh, for say a, a big nickel situation and then in a big dime uh, you can have Dale Pitt and uh, Troy Hill and I would probably say would be their most ideal dime package but with Dale Pitt obviously the biggest question mark is since we haven't seen him play one how healthy is that Achilles because injuring the you know your Achilles and tearing it obviously it is a significant injury and you don't know how someone's going to perform going full speed on it until you really get them into those game time reps. I, I do feel you're going to get some solid play out of him in training camp. But given how early the injury happened, I would really hope that Dale Pitt enters this situation where you could see as much of him as possible throughout preseason. So you know exactly how to install him and at what rate and how many snaps he should be playing on the weekly basis. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult to project Grant Delpit just in general. Um, you know, the Browns defense, at least last year, they like to start everything in too high. Um, so, you know, and then, and then it switches to like cover three, potentially cover one, you know, whatever to try to do, to disguise your looks is uh, presumably John Johnson is going to be one of those two guys. Is the other one going to be Delpit or is Ronnie Harrison going to be back there and Delpit could be that slot guy. Um, that's, you know, th these are sort of those questions and that Grant Delpit has a lot of ability to contribute in a number of areas he, he, because he was a deep safety for LSU. And then he was a slot defender for LSU. Um, and does the Achilles 
and just sort of where he is in his development, make it so that, and, and the presence of John Johnson really, does it make it so you find what you, you like about what he can do and just let him focus on that one thing, be it slot defender, be it, you know, potentially strong safety and just don't mess with him at all, knowing that John Johnson can sort of do whatever you need and he's going to be great at it. Does that sort of serve you best or do you want to keep John Johnson able to sort of do a little bit of everything? So it's difficult. And that's a big reason why I, I, I think addressing safety depth, whether it's resigning Carl Joseph, whether it's drafting more help, like people look, have this weird reaction at like drafting more safeties. Like Sheldrick Redwine was bad last year. I, 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 the kid, I love the kid. Like he's smart. He's very, you know, uh, interesting to listen to and some of the stuff he talks about in his life and some of the things he wants to accomplish and stuff, but he just doesn't tackle anybody. Um, so I don't know how long that's going to last. I, I, I root for the kid to sort of make it and, and make it work. But if he doesn't, you know, and somebody goes down, then we're scrapping the three safety look already. So I do think they need to address depth uh, there and, and, and Delpit only makes that a bigger question. And obviously uh, Ronnie Harrison has largely been healthy over his career, but he had, you know, a couple of injuries last year and, and people now assume he's like injury prone, but even if he isn't, you still want to have another guy or two in there just in case. And God forbid they have four good safeties that if they do get into dime, they can, you know, put one in there as an, another linebacker uh, or something like that and just get faster and more coverage on the field. So there's just a lot in terms of options, but there's also a lot in terms of question marks with, with what they want to do with that group in general and with Delpit. Yeah, they definitely could benefit by adding more depth. And I would say more of someone that's a strong safety. Um, you know, Ronnie Harrison obviously provides versatility being able to, you know, play and cover two, come down in the box, cover tight ends and man coverage. And we really saw him do a lot last season. But I definitely feel like this defense can benefit from having a straightforward box strong safety. And there's nothing wrong with that, because if you look at your linebacker group and, you know, these are these players have this specific role. If your fourth safety specializes in giving run support and basically being someone that can lay some hits in zone coverage over the middle, then that's fine. Um, and I, I do believe if they re-signed Carl Joseph, he would fit well into that role. Uh, obviously, being a deep cover safety wasn't something that was his strong suit uh, last season. And even before he signed, you knew that him being your deep safety wasn't the most ideal situation. And then obviously you pair that up with Andrew Sandejo and now you just have a lot of coverage liabilities on the back end. And that's really outside of the, um, the injury to Grant Dale Pitt is what influenced that move to trade for Ronnie Harrison, which I believe is going to work out for the long term. But again, that defense, there's a lot of question marks. Uh, I think there's a strong possibility that you could see them move on from Sheldrick Raderwine. Uh, just because you haven't seen enough from him. And he was only a fourth round pick. So, you know, it's not the biggest issue in the world, you know, if they move on from him. Uh, sometimes I feel like people will overanalyze the fact that just because you drafted someone, you have to stick to them, uh, which obviously isn't the case because they moved on from Chad Thomas after two seasons and he was a third round pick. Um, and then you look at Javante Moffat and Elijah Benson 
and you really just don't know what you're going to get from them um, in terms of that depth. And if if I was in Barry's situation or, or in his predicament of trying to figure out what I'm going to do, it, it's an absolute must to draft a safety because you obviously want to have more players develop in the back. Um, again, having that box safety would be nice. And then I would re-sign Carl Joseph. Um, if I'm Carl Joseph, obviously I don't know what his full market is, but it's been three weeks of free agency, and if you haven't signed yet, obviously after the draft is probably going to be the most ideal situation for him to sign with a team. But if you're just looking for another one-year deal in an ideal environment where you could potentially make a deep playoff run, the Browns really is the best place for him. Well, I mean, the market just may dictate that this is the place for Carl Joseph. Um, you know, obviously he went to visit for the, with the Steelers, but he's just sort of hanging out there. And I think he was really good as a second level defender. I think he, you know, he was a little, had some struggles uh, on that, on that, that deep level of the field, but he also, I think had an uncharacteristically bad year for him overall. Um, I think if you can get him at, as that fourth guy, um, I think he he can be a, a massive value for this team, um, and and he will play. Uh, you know that's the thing is they they if he's there they can use him. Um, he he obviously played in the scheme last year. I think they can use him more um, than than they did and and more specific roles, and they can allow him to do some more things um, that sort of highlight him. But there were games where he, he was arguably the best linebacker on the team, um, just in terms of like you know, shutting, shutting down the running game um, and making some impact tackles. So I, I think Carl Joseph to me is an underrated entity right now. And I think I would be thrilled if the Browns got him back for cheap to sort of, uh, you know, keep, keep that rotation going. Um, I, I think he just the, the, the nature of the, this this offseason in, in ter- terms of the salary cap has really limited what teams can sort of offer some of these players. And he's a guy's getting squeezed. So I, I think the Browns can offer him a little bit of a soft landing that uh, that that can sort of, you know, be right for him. And I think that's part of the reason he went to visit this year is that, you know, I, I think the Browns have basically made their offer to him uh, as they did with so many of these guys. And he's trying to see if he can't get a little more elsewhere as as one should in his position, but I think uh, maybe the Browns would match that higher offer. But if, if not, um, you know, he can go elsewhere, but uh, I think ultimately he's going to find that this is probably his best situation for another year. So given the current construction of the roster, who would be your ideal top five defensive backs week one? Oh, so, uh, I, I think right now you'd be looking at John Johnson and, and Grant Delpa as sort of that 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 deep two uh, with Ronnie Harrison up in the that that rover position, and then Denzel Ward at one corner, uh, and then uh, you know I, I think right this second I, I think uh, Greg Newsom is the most logical selection for uh, the Browns if he can't beat out Greedy Williams or Greedy Williams you know has sort of that eureka moment. Um, and he, he's great and he can earn that job. Great. But that would at least ensure that we're, we're settled at those boundary corner positions. And that to me, 
if he's if he's earned that job because he you know he had that great offseason and, and really came through in camp, then I think that's a really strong five to enter the season with. Uh, again, we have the questions with Delpit, but that's it's not for lack of talent. So entering the draft, uh, obviously some positions of need still remain. Finding someone to pair with Miles Garrett, looking at the interior of that defensive line and understanding what vision the team has in terms of the personnel, adding some size could definitely be a benefit. Linebacker is a group that the position will really fill out itself. There's still a possibility that linebacker will be coming via the draft. And then, of course, looking at that third level, uh, drafting a safety and providing another boundary corner would go huge for this team. And overall, as we get closer to the draft, these questions should be able to come with more concise answers. Uh, obviously, as pro days continue and we get closer to that process of you know more analysis of the tape and where these players will fall on the ideal big board, but it is most likely the Browns are going to have a very defensive um, heavy draft. And hopefully this will be the moves that we need in order to bring us over the top. Like Pete has said many times, um, if you want to compete in the AFC, you have to be able to stop the pass. Um, is there any players that you have ideally in mind uh, at number 26 for the defense overall? Well, I, I think those the big three of those corners. Now, I could be easily convinced to take Trevon Morig from TCU. Uh, again, he's safety. I, I don't care if that's a problem. I'll own it uh, that I'm happy to have four safeties. Uh, the same thing with Jeremiah, Akoru, uh, Koromora uh, uh, out of Notre Dame. Like I'm content with taking either one of those. I'd be thrilled, even though they're both safeties. Um, but uh, I, I do think we're ultimately going to end up with a corner. I, I would be thrilled with Asante Samuel Jr., I have more questions with Newsom and Melifonwu, but I totally understand the attraction there. And uh, a lot of that comes down to the kid, uh, you know, that you're picking. Just, do they want to be great? Do they want to put in the work in? If you come back happy with the results there, then then go ahead and make that pick. And, and you have a guy competing with Greedy Williams for that job and may the best man win. And hopefully that means that you have four, quality corners entering the season which is more than they had last year perfect well i want to thank you guys again for listening to the third episode of the browns digest podcast as we get closer to the draft we will be providing more information along with mock drafts of what we believe the browns can do come at the end of the month also we will be providing some in-depth information of our AFC North rivals in terms of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens, and Cincinnati Bengals in the coming weeks as you guys can have a better understanding of what they've done in free agency and what they're likely to do coming into the draft to address their areas of need. Again, you can listen to this podcast every single week on your favorite audio streaming platform, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You guys can find us on there as, long, as well as the Sports Illustrated website. That's si.com slash NFL slash Browns. Again, I'm Sean Stevenson. That's Pete Smith, and we'll see you guys next time.